0: I too. Veronica. You must remember those words. Gordon sat! Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, or at least for today I am. And today I am joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? you okay? Oh, you're not going to do that. I'm not sure I'm doing it right. Yeah, that that weird chittering noise uh, really is incredibly creepy. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are going to be talking about 1998's Dark City. Um, I watched the theatrical cut of this, um, because hmm. that's like that's what I, I ends up uh, downloading, um, and double checked. But what about yourself? Did you watch the? Did you watch the theatrical cut?
1: I watched the director's cut.
0: Oh, you did! Excellent. So I was so much yeah. excited. Yes. I thought I was getting the director's cut, but then when I downloaded it, I noticed it was the original theatrical cut. So we've now got both versions covered, which is good. Um Excellent. but let's go let's start with this. So what are your thoughts on initial thoughts on, around Dark City?
1: Um, I am pretty confident I have never seen this all the way through. Mm. Um and I kinda love it. Um I'm really glad that you made me go back and actually watch it attentively. Um It strikes me that it is... I don't think it's as classic as uh, The Man Who Fell the Earth. But, you know, it's a year before The Matrix. And it's sort of like, what you know is wrong. I consistently thought, like, this was how I saw the world as a teenager. Like, Mm. this was, like, a totally solipsistic... Like, I'm not sure that any of my memories are real. Obviously, we live in some sort of simulation... You know, like I mean, I would, I would have, if I saw this at, you know, fourteen, I would have said that is absolutely, you know, a representation of the truth, um, the, in exactly the kind of like paranoid ways, like the sort of like when the Berenstein Bears thing mm. became big, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I was reading about that twenty years earlier, you know, the I Mandela effect, yeah. yeah, exactly, and I and I mean that was well discussed you know in in weird circles years before mm. and i was absolutely like oh no that's happened in my life i can point to these things reality is not consistent in some way um yeah so it's kind of creepy watching it uh it does sort of like come off as a little terry gilliam you know a little massive influence. yeah nosferatu's in here you know like but um it's you can also see like it's incredibly influential sorry i'm I'm going on what are you no 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 no. i agree this is the second time i've watched
0: this film um and it's one of those that's that yeah if i take it into two elements stylistically i love everything about this film like everything that is on screen to me is um wonderful like it's it is it's just something about this film i just find so appealing um the design, sort of the aesthetic, the costuming. I mean, you say about Nosferatu is one element. And, you know, I, I love, I think, Hellraiser. Like, there's really sort of like, you know, the the costuming and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the set design. Um, even sort of like, you know, there's some charming stuff, like the early use of sort of CGI. It's not sort of like, it's not as terrible. In, uh, there's some moments where it looks really dated, but I, I'm involved because it's got model shots and stuff in here as well. But I really like but then the story as well, like you say, this is sort of uh, one of um, a couple. Like the, everyone talks about the Matrix in 1999 as sort of like oh, the epitome of sort of 90s sci-fi and this idea of sort of the the Matrix. And people refer to it as the Matrix as being like you know this thing around um, whether or not we exist in a simulation or sort of stuff. But this, like you said, this came a year before. Before this, there's a film called The Thirteenth Floor. Uh, which I would like Mm -hmm. us to cover at something like. Now, this is really prevalent. And I think the X-Files even touched on it at one point, this notion that the X-Files may exist in a simulation. Like this idea of simulation theory and something not being quite right um, births in the late 90s. And I just find that fascinating, that sort of, you know, I don't know really why that is. I don't know what the cultural sort of zeitgeist was Mm -hmm. that was generating it. But yeah, I, I, this this because this, this film was directed and sort of you can see the style in there by the same person who, who directed The Crow, another film mm-hmm. that I think is is wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, I did it's this certainly film. very
1: stylistic and, and yes. has a, a vision. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you, you, as you say, Terry Gilliam uh, influence all over this. But I love the fact that um, yeah, you know, and there are things I wish they do slightly different in the story, but that this sort of noir take on things as well, mm. sort of like when you're inside the world this sort of thirties sort of forties vision of things and sort of the characters is, I love it. I just think it's all looks the, the way it's lit, the way it's filmed. This is just a really
1: cool film. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think, and I think it compares favorably to, um, you know, I think the first matrix is actually a really good movie, mm. but I think this compares favorably, arguably to that. And certainly to most of the other sort of everything, you know, is wrong movies that came out at that time. I even think like you know in uh in inception with the mm. moving of the buildings is a sort of like better CGI version of them of what you're getting here but you're getting you know buildings moving um a whole lot and yeah. that's really awesome to see to see this changing um I really am fascinated by a lot of these themes obviously we've talked and I'm I'm you know, very sympathetic to simulation theory. Uh, You know, I basically would say, you know, I think it's better than 50% chance, Um, but I don't think it affects anything, right? I don't think you go out there and say, you know, I mean, if you're in The Sims, it's like, well, you know, what is it that makes me happy, right? There's Mm. no win condition, right? So, um, you know, but uh, I am fascinated by this idea of memory, um i mean i have had at least 3 serious head injuries or things happened to my brain in my life um all 3 shook me up all 3 you know two of them i had my memories altered after one i had no short term memory no ability to form long term memory um and really devastated me i didn't know who i was as a person and the other one i had my memories scattered so that, you know, places and people and events and what they said were all mixed up like note cards, just reassigned to other people and places. And I was like, who am I? You know, like, and I, so at the end where the doctor has inserted himself into the guy's memories, uh, into, you know, that's, first of all, cool as hell. Yes. I wish they played it up more, but also like that would be unbelievably upsetting having gone through that experience where you're remembering things that you know are wrong yeah and i mean that like you just break down like that is i i guarantee nobody's ever had that experience and not collapsed emotionally um so you know like oh wait that guy couldn't have been in my childhood but i was in that classroom mm-hmm. and i felt the i feel the anxiety of not knowing the answer, of being in that classroom, but being worried what Mary next to me thinks about me, except my teachers. Now this guy I know wasn't my teacher. D- does that invalidate my feelings? What was I, you know, who who am I? Yeah, so I love these. I love this movie.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, this idea of memory, I want, we'll get back to because it's one of the big themes of this, uh, or I see it as a big theme of this film, is this idea of self, this I think of identity, mm-hmm um and and how much your memory and your history makes up who you are and if you are told that that's you know not just false but you've had multiple versions of that and it's malleable and it's being manipulated um I actually think some of the reactions of of um, Rufus Saul's character is underplayed. Like you say, I'd be like, mm. "What? You, mm-hmm. like you, you don't know who you are. You don't know what means this and what, what makes me me. What's my morality? Because at one point, I, I like the fact that, like you say, that so it's it's sort of required because the plot is actually, or the motivation for all this is quite <coughs> intricate. <laughs> do you mean? Um, the fact they've actually made him at one point a serial killer to see Mm -hmm. what would happen. So he has these sort of like flashes of memory of being that and sort of stuff. And like, I could have been that, but then he hasn't
1: actually killed anyone. No, he hasn't. No, no. They gave him the memories at one point, but he has the memory. Right. And they've set him up. The whole point is to sort of see, would you continue this? If you had the memories?
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea. Like they've generated these memories of him killing these six, five or six women. And then they've set up the world to be chasing him down to see what would happen. Right. They, They keep experimenting with it. Um, and so, yeah, you're going, well, you know, if that's false, so where, at what point? where's the real? Because one of the things that sort of um, I find interesting about this story is the reveal at the end, which we'll have to talk about the plot a little bit, but the reveal at the end, and as we always say, spoilers, because we're going to go into in a great deal of detail. When it's revealed that this is a spaceship and these are aliens and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, they finally built it. It's a spaceship going through space but he's had these memories of this place, this beach and all this other stuff of him being a kid. Right. And you do see that there are, there are children that live in dark city mm. in the city. So that the, the potential of him having been a child there is one thing. And he comes across this billboard on this wall of, of this place. And you go fine. So that, that also goes back to me. like how far ago, how long ago were these people abducted? How mm-hmm. many generations have been living on dark city
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know so how long has this been happening how long has this been going on like it's really sort of like it never it's never addressed it's never really even Mm been raised but like at one point i almost thought if you watch it oh he must have been abducted as a child and some of these memories are of of the real earth and then you realize they're not like Mm -hmm. it's all there inside this spaceship so he's been there his entire life and you're like okay he's in his 30s like how long has these people been there like it's really you, there's no real, you know, there's no answers to any of this at the end. It's really sort of fascinating. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's really weird how this thing does take on this idea of identity and where we come from and really allows you to question sort of like, what is your origin and
1: stuff? Yeah. And I, I find these very resonant, you know, even beside simulation theory, like, you know, if you think, and my own experience of the shaking up my brain, if you think about, our experiences like you know we say well you know like i'm loyal to my mom she took care of me when i was a kid right i'm loyal to my brother yeah we fought terribly we hated Hmm. each other but we were always there for each other when we needed somebody right if an outside threat was there or somebody was sick i mean you wanted the other brother in your corner well what if those are false memories what if those are you know like you know, you it's like where you people discover true or false. Um, you know, a memory of like uh, dad molested me. Mm. Well, if that's true, well, first of all, there are cases where that's been provably false. There are cases where it's pretty clearly true. Um, if that's true, then obviously the happy that changes your happy memories and your feeling of like I had a happy childhood and I should be loyal to this person. If that's false, then mm-hmm you know, it changes, you know, all of that incorrectly, right? Um, so, I mean, I think that our uh, loyalties and our personalities are often very tied up in with memory and things that really are arbitrary. Um, you know, in, including a lot of our life lessons, a lot of our morality is bound up in memory and sort of yeah. like feeling good about helping somebody, feeling bad about hurting somebody, we learn how to be a good person by observing those effects, right? Mm. Um, go ahead. No, was, yeah, you
0: no. I agree, I agree totally, hundred percent. The thing with the, the thing with memory is as well, is it's like not straightforward, is it? You know, you were saying mm. about the generation, this corruption, like an entire panic, and I'm, you know, one of my sort of like, as you know, one of my sort of favorite mini subjects is the the satanic panic of the seventies, eighties, nineties. Like mm-hmm. that sort of kicks off with a lot of people claiming and generating false memories of you know, or ritual yes. sacrifice and all this other stuff that
1: has no oh, evidence
0: yeah. other than these claims made by people that when I was a kid, this is what happened. And they're like, oh, my God, you it's have clearly memories. clearly never of happened.
1: It. Yeah. clearly never happened. And in one case, there was a girl who who was uh, supposedly, like, abducted and raped by three different satanic cults. Yeah. You know? it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this did not happen. What You know, Yeah, well, apparently believed it. I mean, I, I have oh, no reason oh. to think... Yeah, hundred percent.
0: People believe it. A, no, no, but this is—you're right. This thing people believed it, like it changed the way that law enforcement was being done, social care across sort of like many Western countries. But the thing is, you're right. This thing about false memories, and but, the, but it's also been proven repeatedly now that people giving statements in court cannot be hundred tr- percent trusted because mm-hmm. they'll be like, "What was you? What did you witness? Well, what you witnessed mm-hmm. is what you remember you witnessed, and actually." As I think we now know, you don't remember Mm -hmm. anything. When you recall a memory, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're recalling the last time you remembered that memory.
1: Right. Every time you take it out and look at it, it's slightly degraded.
0: Yes, exactly. And so,
1: yeah, our memories are not. But these witnesses, they really saw what they think they saw. And you have these conflicting accounts where somebody, I mean, this is the the difference of somebody's life, but they will be adamant. Yes, And, you know, somebody will be a crusader for somebody's innocence and another one for convicting them. And they both are clearly breaking down in tears, adamant. Clearly this is, you know, a memory that has affected their whole Why? life. It's tied to emotion, right? Exactly. And I think, you know,
0: and more than that as well, we know that certain chemical stimulus will completely affect the way we remember things. So if you've been taking drugs or drinking or even heightened adrenaline and all these other things, cortisol, whatever in your body will completely impact the way you remember events or the way your memories are stored. You know, traumatic memories mm-hmm. are, are stored in a certain way compared to happy memories. Like the brain does things differently for these chemical greater reactions. And so this idea of, like you say, of self being so, um, intrinsically tied to this idea of memory is, um, is true. Um, and once you remove that, all of a sudden, like it's horrifying. Like you're right. If you were to take away like who you were, or my memories of who I am, I think that that really does um, scare me. You know, if you were to wake up, but, uh, it's funny uh, this this that. Um, it's it's one of those weird sort of like you know you get those irrational phobias of something that's clearly never going to happen, or hopefully will never happen. But like it, um, I have that, that fear of sort of waking up with no memory. Mm. You know, that, that you see it in a number of films much like in this where Rufus Saul's character uh John wakes up in a bathtub and it's like he's got no memory of who he is or what's going on mm-hmm. I, like I have that fear um and it's sort of how I portray that is I am terrified of getting Alzheimer's I am definitely terrified of getting dementia really worries me um and I think that's the case because it? It you do start to lose that identification of self um and so yeah now this so it does play out a little bit in that sort of um, this being (laughs) really sort of start picking at those like, you know, potential wounds or those sort of concerns and worries.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I have, I've often had experiences like that. I, I have, um, you know, sometimes like say you go into your backyard, you expect there to be a pool and you think, I don't think I'm going to see it this time. You know, um, I have sometimes um come back to my apartment, not not where I currently live, but years ago when I was a younger man, and I do think my brain has stabilized a lot. Um, and when I say like this would have been a really bad movie for me to see at 14, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it. It would have been a bad movie for me to see at 24 and pretty safe for me to see at 34. <laughs> um But uh yeah, I mean I have come back to my apartment uh, in my twenties and you know the early 30s and thought there were police inside this apartment i have murdered somebody today and i don't remember doing it i'm looking and i'm like is there blood on my hands did i clean that off but i'm pretty convinced that i straight up murdered somebody and that like police are hiding in my apartment waiting for me to enter which doesn't make sense but mm-hmm. i have to force myself to open that door thinking I know this isn't rational, but I, at the same time, kind of believe this is true. Um, you know, so, I mean. No, yeah, but the brain is I, weird like that,
0: isn't it? Cause I've had something similar where I've woken up from a dream. I've woken up from a vivid oh, yeah. dream that involved me, at, um, and this can, like, I'm, I'm not confessing things on, are we? I don't know, it's <laughs> this, this too bizarre? But you have those dreams where you have that sort of like, you know, I couldn't tell you what the total dream is, but I've woken up thinking I have done something terrible. Mm-hmm. And like there's gonna be consequences, but I can't really tell you what it is, and they overhanging feeling of dread mm. and and guilt, and I'm like, oh, I did something in a dream, and I feel really bad about it, and that's weird um but also you say about this you know this thing one of the things that this struck me um about this film is when you see them do the tuning, and I love the scenes when they do the tuning they say the chattering of teeth uh or the noises they make, but the building changing. One of the things it made me think about is there, there are parts, there are places in your life. Like, so I went. I was raised in Coventry. I now live uh, elsewhere. I went to university in Leicester. I haven't really been there for sort of years, but you have a memory of that place. You have very vivid memories, especially you know the town, you or city you were born in, where you grew up. You know, you worked there. Then I went off to university, and I have very vivid memories of going out and and existing and living in that town or that city. Mm-hmm. And then you go back, and there's been gentrification or you know improvements and renovations and that city is no longer the city that you knew but people that still live there walk around that city like it's normal you know they walk mm-hmm. around because they know it and you have that at sort of like you're an outsider but you have that sort of distortion because you're going well I used to take this this route from here turn here and do this and do that and do that to get to this other place well firstly that other place doesn't exist anymore because it's now something else mm-hmm. but also I can't do that route anymore because it's been you know it's now blocked off or there's a building in the way or there's something else there and that level of sort of like this is no longer the place that place I grew up in or that place I lived in doesn't exist anymore only in my head and I find that I that it can sometimes be really disconcerting when Coventry in particular is one of those places where since I moved away in my 20s it's been mm. like 15 years really since I've lived there that when I do, the few times I do go back to like the town centre, the city centre, it's very much a university town now and stuff. And there's big buildings that have gone up, renovations have gone up, there's new sort of like uh, entertainment things. And I'm like, yeah, none of this was here for the last time I was here. Like last time I really studied the place where I lived here. And it does feel a bit like uh, Dark City, where I'm like, I blinked, because time goes a lot quicker when you're older. Mm. I've blinked, and all of a sudden, this city this town center, the city center is completely different. And I can't, I'm, i I have this image in my mind's eye that I can't, I struggle to reconcile with what I'm seeing now. And I think that's totally true. You know, the way things change.
1: Well, I've had kind of the opposite experience with why I have had that experience with like where I went to school mm. um, in Hawaii. When I lived here in the two thousands, I thought, you know, like things changed all the time and they changed really fast. And just because it was, you know, expensive, you would, you know, not go to pass a store in a week. You pass it again, and it's, you know, a completely different store. And Mm -hmm. it looks like it's always been that store. (laughs) And you're like, did I hallucinate that it was this other store? Like, how did this change this severely? And people are going there like they've always gone there. And you're Mm -hmm. like, how did this happen? Um, But then, you know, moving back, I thought, Oh, a few things have changed, but it's remarkable how how similar it is, Um, you know, but um, then there are these experiences of where you say like, oh, no, I've never been to that place. And your friend is like, oh, no, we went together and has clear memories of it. Or I mean, it could work in reverse where you have the memory, but it's more creepy when all the sort oh, no, like, I've never seen that movie. I've never been to that place. And my friend will say, oh, yes, we have. You know, and recount things that clearly that was me, Mm -hmm. right? Like clearly I believe that They have no reason to lie about this and specific memories. And I'll defer to them. My dad once watched videotape, uh, you know, recorded on a super 8 camera of himself uh back in uh Eagle River, Wisconsin, where he grew up, and he said, That never happened. I never went back there looking at the footage of himself. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was like that, I don't have any memory of this. I reject my eyes. You're <laughs> lying, eyes.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it's um, it's interesting how timelines work in that way, isn't it? Like in my head, I have a series of events that lead up throughout my life, and then I know I can speak to somebody else, and they'll go, "Oh no, no, this one happened before that one," mm-hmm. and you know, so you might see that video footage and say, "Well, no, that, I don't I have no memory of that." I have memories of those events, but I'm sure they took they took place at least a year or two years before that. And someone has to go, no, 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 you're getting that switched up with this or whatever. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. memory is incredibly um, <laughs> complex and and not. Which does just make you sort of you know, this is when we sort of talk about. Um, I I did history as as a degree, and you know, so I've sort of this idea, and they talk about primary. Uh, sources. You know, someone at yeah. the event, and even as like you, you're looking at these primary sources. So, like one of the big things that um in Amer- in in English history, one of those big things is, is a guy called Samuel Pepys, who was mm-hmm. um well known, and he sort of kept a, a series of diaries, um recording There's events. So much
1: that we only know about from his diaries.
0: Exactly. There's a whole load yeah. of stuff from sort of like the 1600s, including like the plague and the Great Fire and all this other stuff, of the uh, Great Fire of London. Just recorded in his diaries, and everyone goes, "Oh, that's an account." And you go, "It is. It, it clearly is." But it takes into doesn't take into account the fact is sort of like his position in in society, but also like it's just what he remembers of that day mm-hmm. or that time. But like, I don't. Did he journal every day? Did he write it down all the time? Like, how is that different to what actually happened? And people take it as fact. So even primary mm-hmm. sources, you have to be very mm-hmm. careful
1: with with what is being recounted. Well, and it's true, like, you know, when we go back to, you know, historians of the ancient world, and mm. they all leave out and Pepys does too. Like, we know this happened on this day. Why is that not in his journal, right? Yeah. You know, why, why would this not be recorded? And some things it's like, oh no, this historian would have mentioned that. That's some good evidence that didn't actually happen. Mm. Um, like say killing the firstborn children that Jesus was born or something. But then there's other stuff where it's just like, yeah, these guys disagree, and nobody knows what the hell the truth is. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, our memory, you know, like, I used to be able to remember, and I can't because I don't care about independent issues, but I used to be able to remember what happened at every issue of Action Comics, every issue of, you know, Flash and Superman. I could tell you, you know, within a month, the, you know, publication date, um, I mean, I knew all this stuff, and I didn't try to memorize it. I just cared about it. Um, And now I know, you know, whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm studying, I know really well. But ask me what I had, you know, for breakfast and Mm -hmm. I may pause and not be able to tell you. And I really like how there's a scene in the movie where um, the main character is talking to the detective and he says, like, you know, when was the last time you remember it being light out? Yeah you know, doing anything in the day. And I thought, you know, we, it reminded me of like how often, you know, it's like 50% of people or something can't recall what they had for breakfast that morning. I mean, we don't remember, it goes into the real short term memory and just gets expunged most of the events of our day, especially mm-hmm. where things are repetitive. Um, and we assume that we did things that we did it. Um, and people are often shockingly wrong when you ask them about, you know, um, you know, showering and brushing and eating habits and, you know, driving, like driving, that yes. thing
0: of you, you drive somewhere, you drive repeatedly and you get there and you're like, I have no memory of the journey I just mm-hmm. took.
1: Yeah. Which uh, is, which is for me, um, one argument for new experience and novelty and the importance of like, mm-hmm. traveling and trying new things. And you know, the fact that it scares you and you've never done it right. Sign your family up for it because <laughs> yeah. you know, it's good for your brain. Um, but no, I, I think most of us kind of sleepwalk through our days. But the interesting thing is, then we still care. But, you know, it's like, there's this interesting sort of thing of how the cop is like, I don't know that it matters catching this killer anymore. But I'm still going to try to do it, <laughs> right? Because mm. that's like, and I think that's so true to life that like, we don't know. Sometimes like how we got in this room, yeah. you know, like, w- w- what was I coming here to do? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember the drive here. I don't remember, you know, like, what I did earlier today. But I know that I'm focused on X. Mm. X still matters to me. Why? I have no – but I'm still going to try to do X.
0: Well, I, th- I think – you no, it's, it's 100%, you, you're 100% right. And I think the other thing to do, you know, when you look at some of the characters in this, especially sort of like, you know, the detective, but also when they go off and you see – them doing the tuning as well. And you see the world sort of changing and stuff. One of the things that's interesting is that, you know, we often are so absorbed by the micro, like what it is we are doing in the moment that we don't observe or don't sort of register the macro. So yeah, when he does say, when was the time you saw daylight? And he's a bit like, huh, I've been so involved in this case, or I've been so involved in this thing that it's never just, even what's interesting is even as a viewer, because they do, they hold it in this sort of, you know, this sort of uh, neo noir sort of styling. Mm-hmm. Even as a viewer, like the thing is that Rufus Sewell's character, John, is actually almost asking the audience at that point, going mm-hmm. like, "Where was <laughs> I?" So you saw daylight, like, and as a viewer, you're going like, "Oh yeah, no, this entire film has been dark. Like I never thought about it. Like it, it just seems to happen at night the entire mm-hmm. time." And so I like the fact that even then you're like, it it, it throws you for a loop because you just dropped into it. And it's dark and it sort of carries on. And so I like the fact that, yeah, you are sort of challenged on that view. you go going like, what's your memory of this film? Do you remember it being daylight? And you go like, no.
1: But that's true that, you know, I, I, at that same point, had that same thought. I think that's a brilliant point. the sort of like meta challenging point because, you know, I also thought, oh, that's true. But I never identify that as a problem. Mm. right like like you know yeah oh yeah we're skipping the days right i never thought oh this film is screwing up and then that illustrates my brain is as shitty at daily memory as these <laughs> yeah. characters are i'm yeah. implicated in a really cool way
0: and that's what i like about it. it does it sort of it keeps doing these little things about sort of challenging you as a viewer because it does that same thing later on when he goes to meet his uncle um and he um, is told all this stuff about us being a childhood. You say about that. And then he opens the book. He's got this book that was like a recounting of this summer on the beach and all this other stuff. And he opens it and nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And it's again, like we were saying, like, you know, you are challenged about what your, your past is. You've been shown these memories. You are shown in, in like flashback in some sort of like video footage or whatever. him filling in this book. And then he has a blank mm-hmm. copy and he's like, well, where, where's the content? And they're like, well, you know, it's this, and, that. and so you are challenged repeatedly to sort of like um, parcel out what it is you're being shown, and what you are shown repeatedly is the past doesn't matter in this film, mm-hmm. in this world, and so as a viewer, you're sort of you are left questions sort of like, well, what are the events that are supposed to have happened, and you know, it's not a big the thing. Is this is one of the things I would like to sort of I would have changed about this book, this film a little bit, maybe um, is is the is the mystery element of it. But I like the mm. fact that you as are, you are, as a viewer sort of challenged sort of like to question your view of of memory and and stuff like that, and as well as sort of like how this world works. Um, I want to sort of just remove because there's something we haven't, we haven't really got into the plot, and, I, and and it's it's worth sort of noting, yeah,
1: because
0: uh, because I want to sort of talk about the cast as well, actually, in this film, because uh, the plot's quite sort of it's relatively sort of straightforward. It starts with Rufus Sewell's character, John. Uh, waking up in a bathtub surrounded by um some there's a broken syringe on the floor and there's, there's a uh, some other bits and pieces he doesn't know who he is he has no memory of, of his past or who he is and then as he goes out to the street so he comes across these other things and then he experiences everybody falling asleep and the world sort of like you know changes um and what we find out is that there is a series there is a bunch of overlords called the strangers um thats Experimenting on these people, and at midnight every night, they tune the world and they change things. And somehow, John has now got the ability to not be put to sleep, like he's not affected by this thing, and is able to experience it. Uh, and we are introduced to Kiefer Sutherland's character, who is a like a, a doctor, like a traitor to the to the human race, um, and uh, is there helping make to conduct these experiments. Um, and eventually sort of like then helps helps John to confront this thing. But at the same time, John is being pursued because it is believed he is a serial killer that has been killing a series of prostitutes because his wife cheated on him, I think is sort of the motivation, which Mm. is a bit shallow. Um, And his wife is played by um, Jennifer Connelly, who is also Mm. trying to help the detectives. It all gets very sort of mingled in that sort of neo-noir way, but the overall plot is, is Dark City real or not? Um, And you you have a detective that she was... Uh, Ian Hertz, former colleague, who's gone insane and is sort of going off like mm. this conspiracy theory about, and you, know, you see these swirls, these sort of uh, concentric circles being drawn and stuff, and eventually it is revealed it's a spaceship in space, and these things, the 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 strangers, are looking to f- use experiment on humans to see if they can change uh, uh, protect their own species from something. We're not entirely sure what.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's said that they're dying and they're trying to understand the human soul and, you know, the role of memory in Mm. what makes us unique because they have a collective memory and a collective experience, which I'm not sure that they really do in the film. But I mean, like, at least that's an explanation. I don't think I don't need another dying race, you know, like that needs human um, individualism, you know, to save it. I mean. That's quite a cliche, but, um, you know, I, I would say one of the things that I like about this movie is that it sort of starts as a murder mystery, um, you know. Well, your version
0: and- does. Let's be clear. Your version does. Oh, okay. So this is the thing. So there's a Blade Runner-esque change between the theatrical version and um the director's cut. Yord's sure, cut sure. does not start with Kiefer Sutherland giving a monologue at the beginning of the film, does it? No. Yeah, mine does and basically tells you exactly what the fuck is going on.
1: What does he say?
0: Basically, there were these things called the Strangers, they came and they... I'm not even uh, sure they're
1: called the Strangers in the director's cut.
0: No, they're not. They do not. They are not given names in the director's cut because this is something I was trying to find out. Yeah, because so when did.
1: you mentioned that, I was like, oh, should I make a point of that? Like,
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what they're called in the theatrical cut. There's a very much like a Blade Runner kind of history Mm -hmm. where this was it was watched and the executives were like, We don't understand (laughs) this. We want someone
1: bring in Harrison Ford again.
0: He's not even in the film, but we want Harrison Ford to do a really (laughs) bored narration. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) Keith Sutherland steps into that role. apparently makes a
1: great sci fi movie, so let's roll the dice on
0: that. So Kiefer Sutherland actually has a monologue or a narration over the start of the film, and pretty much explains a lot of things. So there's no mystery. There's a oh, bit of wow. a murder mystery, but the mystery around the strangers, uh, these the the beings that these alien beings is is not really a mystery. Like the fact it's in space still is, but there's no mystery mm-hmm. around who, who that they are there. And so, yeah, the, I've not, I want, the reason I want to see the director's cut is because it is definitely played out more of a mystery, which I think would work a hell of a lot better.
1: I don't think it's enough of a mystery. but I agree. It, it, so, so the direct, way the director's cut starts is with him waking up mm-hmm. and, you know, he sort of has slapped this uh, syringe out of a guy's hand and, you know, he he's told, I think the guy tells him, who winds up being the doctor, tells him, you know, like, they're coming for you, you've got to leave, sort of Matrix style. And he flees, and he's able to use his powers to escape. So, you know, the mystery is, and he sees this woman who's been carved up with these swirls on her, you know. Um, so ostensibly, it, you know, and I, I think this is sort of what maybe it wants to do or, or probably what it should do. I think it should start as a, a murder mystery in this kind of strange film noir city, right? And that murder mystery is tied up in like a lot of, you know, you think like True Detective, you can think, um, you know, of, uh, you know, even Chinatown and classic, you know, noir, you know, Sam Spade stuff. Like those murder mysteries were always tied into, or those, crimes were always tied into some larger conspiracy right here the you know the indications of that is what are these swirls uh, actually very true detective right like what are these sort of the swirl pattern it's tied to fingerprints like it made the previous guy go crazy the only and then the investigation of that mystery winds up Exposing a large truth in classic detective fashion, except that here that large truth is your reality is a sham and we're all alien, a community of alien abductees, um, as opposed to like there's a rich person who's having sex with his daughter, you know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think that's kind of classic film noir. The problem with that is that you see the main character has his superpowers right away, right? So you already know something is amiss this is, yeah. you know, and you also see the, you know Nosferatu, you know too quickly, you know very quickly, you don't know who they are but very quickly you see them sort of flying around and you realise okay, something's going on here.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with that, actually, so the, the the director, the theatrical, is very very similar um, yeah. it's, you know it introduces those like noir elements, and uh, I think there's slightly less of Keith at the at the beginning, telling him things. Like I think does, in yours, he say does he save a fish as well, like as a goldfish. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So which becomes not important, but becomes a bit of a point later on when they say saying... Sort of meaning like, he's
1: a good guy. He yeah, why would he kill? Killer.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is not true because serial killers no. do all kinds of weird stuff. Right, um, but um, I like the fact they do try to show these things. But um, yeah, he has the same. I have exactly the same problem with this film. As I, I, whilst I really enjoyed this film, I really wanted it to be more of a uh, a gut punch when you realise that there is something supernatural or something mm. even stranger going on, because yeah, you are introduced to the sort of bizarre elements way too quickly, um, and so I, I think that yeah, it should be teased out
1: more. Yeah, um, it should roll out like peeling an onion, right? Like you have the first you know sort of telekinetic thing and then you have like creating a door yeah these weird people and you see oh they're kind of able to do these small things too and then when you see like i mean i'm not sure why they have to tune buildings to such an extent supposedly they've been doing this for you know years if not decades why are they redesigning so much of the city but um but it looks cool as hell, and that mm. should be a kind of gut punch, you know, when you see it.
0: And I think that should huh? come a bit later. I think there should be more yeah. – yeah, the tuning should come later. Because I think, like, the, 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 the being – let's call them the strangers because that's what this other referred to mm. – kept in the shadows, as it were, like, almost on the periphery. You could see them and you could acknowledge them, but, like, they should be almost like the Men in Black kind of thing of, like, you do not know what they the are. The agents in the Matrix. Exactly. Like, they're there, yeah. but you're not entirely sure what they're there for. They're clearly like a menace – but mm-hmm. they're not there to interfere per se Like they're observing because mm-hmm. they should be observing. That's the point Like they should be observing. Um, and so I agree the mm-hmm. moment this sort of kicks into, Oh, it's, 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 um, it wants to be like I said, they should, I have to say like there's, there's, there's a need for this to be more like weird fiction at the beginning, at least for mm-hmm. the first 20 minutes to 30 minutes, but it wants to get into the sci-fi, uh, weirdness t- too quickly uh, for my opinion. But I agree, but I still love the aesthetic of all this stuff as it's running around. Mm. Um, And you talk about those those older noir films. One of the things I think is they often give you like a single narrative, don't you? You're either following the detective and he's the one that's passing out the information, like you say, Jack Nicholson in Chinatown or Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like you're following... They're the ones that are parceling out the information. Like, you know, and they're always on the back foot. That's the point of these noir films, is mm. often the person that's trying to put the mystery together is on the back foot. Like they're being prevented from doing something. And so in this case, you know, um the detective played by William Hurt it should be like there's a counter. There's always that police person that's sort of like, you know, you don't know everything or you don't know what you're doing, kind of thing. And the, the thing is that like Rufus Sewell, whilst trying to put the 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 thing together, is also, like you say, has um these superpowers that sort of pop up. And so it never feels, um, it never feels really like, you know, he almost, I almost feel like I should be following William Hurt as the one, because you've already had the mm-hmm. crazy detective. Mm-hmm. So there's almost like this, because they split it between Rufus Saul and, and William Hurt's characters about who's parceling out the information. It does sometimes feel a little bit mur- mm-hmm. murky about how this mystery is, is being parceled out. And I really feel like, one or the other, you know, really sort of leading to one or the other. Uh, and, no. uh, um, but I, 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 that's a minor thing because I think it works overall. Um, but you think I say, like, the well, cast- so gone, that-
1: I just want to say real quick that you know, it's amazing how, like, The Matrix is in sometimes a dumber, it's certainly less interesting film in some ways than this, mm. and and I and I. You know, that's not to trash it again. I think, you know, I I think if anything, the the original Matrix is underrated. Um, Having said that, uh, you know, it does such a good job of rolling out the idea that Neo is the one. Right. And to me, that's exactly what this is missing. You know, that he's special. He's not just somebody who's been accused of a murder and strangely has powers right? He's the only person, in human who has these powers. Yes. Something is strange and special about him. And instead, I mean, imagine if we saw Neo creating holes and walls 10 minutes into the matrix, it'd be a very different, less satisfying mm. movie. That does a good job of rolling out that information.
0: No, I agree. And that's exactly right. Is that sort of the pacing of that information and, and, and you as a viewer should be involved in the mystery in the same the same way, and this film does it like we said before about that sort of, you know, the darkness and sort of like how it wants you to be a part of the experience, the mystery experience, but then also fails to give you the the full mystery, um, like him being attacked mm-hmm. by the strangers when they are on um, the the platform. Like there isn't a big billboard, isn't there?
1: Billboard, yeah.
0: All that I like, all that, but like it, it, they again, like they fly up, they do all this stuff, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to be like, oh my god, who are these? Well, you've told me because Kiefer Sutherland's already told me who these people <laughs> are. Like reduce their capabilities as well, make them less sort of supernatural. Like, should yeah. sure they survive and stuff? But like, yeah, do it slightly different. What I would say is, in well, my like,
1: version, Kiefer Sutherland doesn't have that narration, so in my yes. version, it is exactly what you're saying. And works.
0: I, th- I th- yeah, and I think the director's cut sounds. I wanted to watch the director's cut so I think yeah. it sounds like a much better version I, I do want to touch on the fact that you know Rufus Soul never went on to become um a massive star that I think sort of some people thought he was going to in the sort of the 90s. He's been in a few things since well he's been in lots of since but just never became the sort of star. But this cast I do want to highlight the use of this cast like I think Rufus Soul is good at this as the as the main character. Keith Sutherland is great. I think Keith sutherland is one of their sort of strangely underrated actors. I always find him entertaining mm-hmm. Jennifer Connolly is fine. Um, I think she's very good.
1: Actually, yeah. I, I found her kind of haunting.
0: Yeah, she's. I think, good, especially when they sort of keep tw- changing her, and they, like, there's a great mm-hmm. scene at the end where they call her by a different name, and she says that's not my name, and the guy sort of looks her like uh, it's it's gonna be. Um,
1: William, yeah, I found her performance and her character really one of the fascinating. Yeah, you know aspects of this. Uh,
0: William yeah. Hurt, I really enjoy William Hurt. But mm-hmm. the the two the three well the three sort of that separate thing Richard O'Brien as, as Mister Hand, uh, Ian yes. Richardson as Mister Book, and Bruce Spence as Mister Waller like these characters. But Richard O'Brien in particular, um, he's I think Richard O'Brien is a national treasure in this country. Like I I I, mm-hmm. I you know he is wonderful whenever he appears on screen, um, and he is brilliantly amazingly creepy in this mm-hmm. film. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I love him in this and he's absolutely fantastic. Um, and the design of like that, that this sort of like, almost like, like this pinhead Hellraiser esque sort of like leather sort of like, you know, all right. Neo had an, a leather overcoat. These dudes are wearing like a full, mm. um, leather sort of like. Are, like smocks with like thing. the collars
1: up and stuff, yeah. Like, like mean, it's almost it's like real creepy,
0: it's almost like monastic, like, you know, they've got all that stuff, and they wear the overcoats and the hats, and also they're clearly tapping into like the men in black, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. UFO kind of sort of like just you know, expectation, uh, idea. Um, and so I love that's what I'm saying. I love the, the aesthetic and why I love how creepy and weird this is, um, and stuff like that, but yeah, there's. The way it looks is a big part of this. I think the design elements really work, mm. um, and also just the weirdness of, like, say, when they do the tuning. And I don't think they do like a full city redesign every night. I think there's almost like, no. tonight we're going to do a little tweaking here, a little tweaking there, and then and then, and then we'll do a full rebuild
1: at some of the point down the line. But multiple whole buildings are being created and now. destroyed. I mean, yeah. Yes. I mean that that to me is maybe excessive, but but I am like the architecture dude. Like I I will do the autistic thing of just like totally ignoring the human beings in the scene and just looking at the architecture behind them and going like, ah, oh, I, I I like that chandeliers and, and look at the you know the gothic uh, you know positioning here. Um, so for me like watching the buildings move and stuff and nothing. To me, there's probably no better scene than when the building is sliding together and crushing the fire escape. Yeah, like, that's probably for me just like the best scene in this movie. How do you how do you beat that?
0: Oh I, well, I love the fact as well because I like the the scenes of the the tuning is. There's two sides of the tuning which I love. I love that when it goes to the strangers and they're in their sort of their area and um,
1: holy weird o- clock.
0: Yeah, and they all turn yeah. to it, and they all start that, like, chattering noise, and there are all these bold, white, pale figures, and some are children, like, they have children in mm. these things, really creepy, really well done, and then you mm. see the city changing and morphing, um, and you say, one of, the, one of the things I really appreciate is that I think they understand the limitations of of the computer animation at the time, so they're not going to go whole hog but there are some model shots in this that show things. And then they use the morphing technology when they're in that. um, There's a great shot where it's two people in sort of like a small apartment, a husband and wife. And they're talking about one's going, yeah, I'm going to be taking off the night shift and it's this and that. And they've got the two kids in bunk beds and then they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, well we're going to switch those up now. We'll give them new memories and they're going to be a really, you know, an upper class, rich, wealthy couple. And so like the table extends and there's sort of like, you know, meals oh,
1: appear. That's a brilliant, fantastic. one. that is really yeah. awesome. Isn't
0: it? And that the, the fireplace becomes this massive grand thing and all this stuff starts changing. But whilst it's happening, like Keith Sutherland is still just doing his task. Like he's pulling the syringes out with the new memories mm. and he'll say like, you know, Oh, aren't you a lucky one? Or you're, you're lucky what you wake up with tomorrow. And, it, and then, and then when it cuts and then the, the people start to wake up and they just start talking mm. instead of being taken off, a night shift. It's him firing someone for not doing what he mm. expects him to do at work. And it's just shift in attitude. And the
1: wife says, well, good for you. Yeah. Of course you should do yeah. such a thing. How right. dare he
0: did. I love all of that. And it's such a great, mm-hmm. and that includes the sort of like, you know, so yeah, the tuning stuff when they're changing is the... fantastically done. I love it.
1: Yeah. I love that you mentioned that scene um, because that, that's stood out for me too. And I, I love that overhead shot. But as you say, I love the class implications. Mm. I love, you know, you know, how, although it's part of this world, I mean, I I do find it a little strange how everybody just stops driving. Like, if you fall asleep at the wheel, you don't (laughs) just stop driving, right? That's, everybody knows that. That's one of the dangers of driving. Yeah, I mean, you know, so there are things like that that bother me. And then when they wake up, they don't seem to remember that they fell asleep. I, I mean, I, I get that, that's just, that you kind of have to buy this, right? But the idea that they, even though that's kind of baked into the concept, right from that first scene where they're asleep in the hotel, mm. um, they wake up and just don't seem to notice, oh, I must have dozed off, right? you They can't notice that because then the whole city would be like, oh, I just dozed off. Oh, so did I. And you'd have a conversation ensue. So, okay, you kind of just have to buy that. But I love in that scene how they instantly adapt to their, you know, you know, like, oh well, I wealthy now, so of course my morality changes. And yes, within the universe, it's yeah. actually a serum of memories and, and you know, all this stuff. But still you and I you and I know like, you know, there have been studies that show like wealth makes you a less moral person. Like what car you drive. Mm. Makes you a, a, a worse person to pedestrians, you know, yes. As you yeah. drive
0: a fancier car, and so I, I do. I love all this sort of thing of how these people are changed and stuff. One of the things is that you know, in, in all that, and I want to sort of talk about um, Keitha Sutherland's character, Dr. Um, Schreiber. Mm. And so, one of the things that's sort of and again, and this may be an easy interpretation, but I wanted to sort of touch on it is this idea of human experimentation, this idea of people, and and again, I'll be careful with some of the language I use, but like this ghettoization of these people sort of like that have lived, living in this thing and experimentation. Let's not deny that, you know, the, the black leather uh, fetishization of these sort of the strangers and stuff, um, maneuvering things and shifting things around. And also, I mean, there's no political thing there, but they're definitely like overlords, aren't they? They are there to be seen as overlords. And then you have, um, so today we'd say they're gaslighting. 100%. They are gaslighting these people. Yeah. Much like you think. But then you have the traitor doctor played by Keith Sullivan. Like he is one of the people being manipulated, but is working for the overlords, like the enemy. And I don't know, it felt to me like I was making sort of like Nazi um, comparisons and this idea of sort of like, you know, uh, this idea of sort of people them experimenting on them, but sort of you know trying to sort of justify why it was being done and all this other stuff, and the 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 way and Keith Sutherland you know, I think is a very good actor. Actually, I can't, I, I enjoy him mm-hmm. and stuff. But someone who's been, he's been the cool vampire in um, you know mm-hmm. Lost Boys. He's he was in the cool um, westerns with with Young Guns and all this other stuff. Like he's part of the rap uh, the brat pack. Like he's part of that cool generation. And so they then have him as this sort of like limping, uh, bespectacled doctor and all sort of stuff. Not to play him down as anything else, but like it clearly felt like they were sort of, I- I'd say like casting Nazi. against type. Yeah, cast against type, but more than than that.
1: that but like... also, well, okay, so so I saw less of a Nazi parallel. You're right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. there, but I mean, especially with his name, but also the aesthetic. Like for me. That aesthetic instantly screams German, uh, and it, it screams like German brutalism and German yes. expressionism. Uh, and, Especially and so, some of
0: the angles, like the because one of the things I was thinking yeah. about is when they when it when they mm-hmm. do the tuning at one point, like there's a twist. They feel like a, almost like a model of the city, and it's twisting. And I did think of that German expressionism of like you know Dr. Coligari or Nasferatu and those mm-hmm. the use of shadows and all that sort of stuff. Like it's clearly, oh, there. yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, you're right, and and so to me, I I thought like, oh wow, like I'm getting, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a Hollywood movie, right? But like this is so European in its, <laughs> in its influences, and I mean, I know French film, you know, British film more than I do German film, but mm. uh, I, I recognize it. I get what you're doing, guys, and like that's awesome. I even found myself thinking, like, you know, about how this wasn't a big success Mm. and Mm. you know like people remember the matrix nobody remembers this this is like a footnote and how like if you are acceptable and sort of like i was thinking about the sort of like disney aesthetic right if you are within that aesthetic and you're doing something that is intelligible to the audience right you can then you know twist that by 15 percent 20% and the audience will go along with you and say isn't that new and brilliant but if you go in with something with like you know like I mean if you don't have those um, ideas in your head going into this I think this would seem like what is this weird European movie like I didn't go to see I, I went to see an American science fiction movie like why I don't understand the aesthetic I don't understand with not only the plot and who these characters are, but I don't have a reference point for mm. what I'm getting, you know, and, and for that aesthetic and for anything. And I think that to me, that's just, even though a better movie, I admire that myself more. I like stuff that's weird, but I think for a general public, that's kind of like, it's starting within a narrower range. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, that's always going to be like a cult movie at best, right? Um, whereas the one that is more "quote unquote" accessible, it's more like Disney that might bomb, but it also might do a billion dollars.
0: I, I also sort of see, yeah, I also see that. Like you say, I can ima- I can see why when this went to executives or sort of early screenings, <laughs> people were like, "We need to keep Sutherland back in to record a narration at the start of this," because like you say, I can imagine executives just going like, "What is this? Mm. What am I? What am I? I don't understand what I'm watching." You know, who's the hero? (laughs) What? Why am I following, you know, why do we have creepy Richard O'Brien doing things? Why is there a small child chattering at me? Like, it's, I can totally see why people, that you know, the people worried about this. I can see why it flopped. I mean, this was, weirdly, it's one of those things where, you know, um, if this film, probably the director's, if this film was to have come out now, Mm. I mean, this would definitely receive Better, we're more. I think audiences are more open to that weird experience than mm. they were 20, 25 years ago.
1: Well, the fucked up thing is, if this came out now, it would come out on HBO Max. I mean, yes. it wouldn't. It would not come out in the theaters because mm. it, it's not a franchise film. It, you know, and, and it's not going to deliver the franchise film experience, right? I mean, one of the things that you just said about, um, like, you know, having a hero, The Matrix has a hero. Mm -hmm. right like neo is you know i mean he's a tech guy he's involved in some criminal enterprises but there is no doubt that he's just an out and out goody goody right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and here you know in america we gotta have our unambiguous heroes and the only place that that is okay not to have is basically an art house you know adult fair right um here the protagonist you know might be a serial murderer of women yeah carving them up you know and i mean that i don't think would fly today uh even more so than back then mm. um at one point you see the cop slap a woman on the ass and the and i yeah. thought oh that that's the that's not dated well but um yeah i think that this even by the end you know like when Neo beats the machines, right, he tries to make a better world. Mm. When the protagonist wins here, he says, well, I can do anything I want. There's no, he doesn't seem like he loves his his wife or this woman who he remembers as his wife, but he knows that's entirely self-interested based on his memories, which, okay, that's true of all of us, right? Fair enough but this is not an American hero. It's no. neither a hero, hero, goody, goody, or a sort of Clint Eastwood, anti-hero tough guy. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I think one of the, one of the, one of the interesting things about that comparison between John in this and, and uh, Neo in the matrix is, I would also is the stinger to the film, the sort of the, the, you know, the denouement, if you will, in the matrix, as you say, like he beats it's it's not a definitive ending in the matrix, it's a beginning. And he has but he has his superhero ending, doesn't he? he sort of like you know, after beating the, the Mr. S- uh, Mr. Smith and all that sort of stuff. And you see the photo fo- there's the scene of him in the phone box and he says sort of like I don't know how this is gonna end, but basically I'm gonna be a hero and I'm gonna take you on, and then he flies off over the city. And it's sort of like oh he's chosen the side of good. He is the chosen one, he's gonna represent the people. You know, he's not God, he hasn't won yet. In Dark City, John completely manipulates the whole of the ship within the within the, the field in which it exists for his own mm-hmm. self-interest so that he can re-meet mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly's character now called Anne. Um meets her, and like you say, it's never entirely clear what he's gonna, but he is God in this. Mm-hmm. He is identified as the only human that's evolved to have these abilities to tune. And he knows how the technology, he's sort of, you know, he's been given these memories of now of how to do it perfectly because, and we'll get to that in a moment. And it's left really ambiguous. Like, he's, you've he, identified that, yeah, he, the story sort of told you he's supposed to be a good person, but like, yeah, no, he's a god walking amongst these people now. He can do whatever the hell he wants. So if it doesn't go his way, he could restart everything, put everything back mm-hmm. to sleep, and and, you know, he could become the overlord. Like, there's a complete, is the overlord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: This is a total totalitarian state. Mm. I mean he's kid miracle man, just Mm. not as in love with murder, right? Like well that we know of. (laughs) Well right. But I mean yeah, I mean he does still think his wife cheated on him, right? Which is apparently is motive enough. Um no but I mean he Makes no claim that what he's doing is morally correct, Mm-mm. and I, I, mean, I love this. I mean, I think that's quite right. You know, mm. I, I, think actually that's perhaps more respectable than somebody, you know, claiming it's all for the good. Let's, let's also remember he has committed genocide. You know, yes. Uh, all those, all those Nosferatu stranger guys are all dead, yeah. and presumably, you know, that the the one is left who has his memories. I mean, we we see sort of like their terrain beneath the Discworld, uh, Frozen, but we uh, we don't see them all die. But it's clear they're all dead, right? Mm. Yeah, I
0: mean, the good thing as well is, um, yeah, firstly, you're right. He's obviously wiped out. He's <laughs> won in a, in a sort of like, there is no peace. It's just a complete genocide of these people. Um, but more than that, he doesn't liberate... The people in in, the and it is totally a disc world, and I love the way you call it that. Mm. Um, he's but on in the dark city, like he doesn't liberate them. They continue to be, um, in the assumption that their lives are their lives, and they're gonna, you know, he has created this area of light. Doesn't really explain how he's done that, but he's created this area of light with a beach. Fine.
1: Oh wow. So so, you in the theatrical cut, it's not clear how he's done that.
0: You see him start to change things around. And you see water sort of spilling out of the side of the ships and stuff. But I, I'm not entirely sure how he's done light.
1: No. Okay, so one of the things that I like most about this is that it is clearly a disc world, and you see shots of it from a distance. Yes, I've seen. You um, see that. I've seen all that, and yeah. there's like a there's a,
0: there's a, like a beam in the middle and stuff and that sort of thing. But okay,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, every movie has to have a beam shooting up at the sky right? beam yeah <laughs> yeah uh, you know okay but you do actually see in the uh director's cut the disc world once the waters have filled out um and and you know as you point out he's way more concerned with making a beach than freedom right mm-hmm. but you actually do see it rotate and a sun comes into view and the idea and so obviously like the aliens have just kept it stationary with a a sun of some sort behind it which begs the question why did they do that when they clearly could have just rotated this thing but at least there was an explanation
0: okay i may have missed that but it may not be in there okay that does make more sense and that's it i think but like, you're right like he doesn't liberate people does he he is doing these things to his own ends um because we lose the only other person um, that was on his side of is, is the detective played by uh, William Hurt is killed so he goes off mm. um, so he can't you know, he's not there and, and Dr. Schreiber um, I can't remember is he killed or is he no he just exists and he's sort of left so
1: it, well that's the uh, the aliens sort of attack him and realise he's betrayed them mm. but I'm not sure that we see what happens
0: you never see a body let's put it that way So he's yeah he's he's there like as a single entity like he is God like walking amongst people, Um, and he can now has full control over reality. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. The ending that this isn't it's 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 almost like it's presented as a good ending. Oh, it's a happy ending, Mm -hmm. but there's so much more that's sort of like you're going. "Um, There's you know he hasn't done
1: everything he should have done. Oh, yeah, we, no,
0: you're
1: right. Right. yeah. I, I think it should it should present itself as a more self-aware ending but i you know bittersweet but i do think that it knows it oh, right yes. like it's a hollywood version of the self-aware like this isn't a happy ending mm. i think the whole sort of going out and seeing now anna on that pier is hauntingly beautiful mm. um And, you know, this idea of sort of like, right, well, you're right that the doctor survives because he has that conversation with her about Anna, right? Mm. Where the doctor says, we can't save the memory banks, right? Like, we're starting from zero. You can't bring your wife back. She's not your wife. Um, And then he leaves. Uh, So, but I find that that scene really haunting is this kind of like. I know this is stupid, but I love this human being. And mm. I think, you know, kind of, well, what a great love story, right? Um, even more so than The Matrix, which which curiously is grounded in a love story too. Mm. Um, it's weird, you know, like if, to do movies about reality isn't real, yet I love this person uh, is real. Um, well,
0: that's the grounding factor. I mean, coming back to... What makes us human? I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is when we've talked about memory and this idea of self and what makes us who we are. Like we're really reliant on that, and I think when you have films like this, like you know, and, and this is that thing around narrative. We need something to hold on to. That what makes us human. What you know, if you're going to take away all these other things, or you're going to question all this other stuff. What is it that still makes us human? And love is usually the thing that comes through. Sometimes it's done well. Sometimes it's done like a bunch of crap. Like you know the Harry Potter films of like why didn't why couldn't Voldemort kill Harry because of love? And you go that makes no sense. It's complete garbage. But in this, it's so I deep. didn't
1: make it that far.
0: Right. Well, well done. I made it through like, four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um. And then you know you like I say with wait, with... are you allowed to say that as a Brit about Harry Potter? I mean, are they going to come and?
0: Yeah, oh, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm. I'm probably going to get a visit from some men dressed in black later on. You know, sort of like some. Some Richard O'Brien's going to turn up in a in a big hat and uh, and deal with my memories. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think one of the, th- the things is like this idea, like Trinity and, and Neo, and we need sometimes need these um love stories at the centre because it's what keeps us human. It's what always oh, it's, it's, it's it's human interaction. It's this idea of 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 you know of love um and, and enduring and yeah you know, they always do it as it's got to be romanticized romantic love i think that's the one of the sometimes i think mm. is the downside of some of these um i mean one, one of the things that's fascinating about this idea of love is i'm watching the i'm re-watching the whole of the walking dead um mm. and one of the things mm. you know for good and ill it's some of it's really i think some of it's fantastic some of it's not so good one of the things i find fascinating is the relationship between carol and daryl And this idea of like they are just friends and they've got this real sort of love between them, but it's never sort of like romanticized. And they keep sort of coming and they will defend each other and do the best things for each other, but it's never romanticized. And I love the fact that they are just there for each other. And that's, but that's never, we're never brave enough to do that in a film, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of platonic, that true sort of platonic love. It's got to be romanticized. That sort of becomes quite frustrating. But I I get why it's there because it's supposed to show that although he is now omnipotent and can manipulate this world in any way he can, he's grounded by the love of this woman. I think that's sort of what it's there for.
1: Well, let's talk about love for a second. I mean, you know, I love you, dude, and we have never met in person despite having spent, you know, 180 hours (laughs) podcasting together. Um, You know, and yet were you really visited by the British men in black and imprisoned, I would absolutely book a book a flight to England to, to come try to get you out of jail um, in a second. Um, And, and, and I would go so far as to risk my freedom to do so. Um, You know, there's, there's a completely platonic relationship. Mm. Um, Not that I think either of us would be scared to, you know say feelings otherwise i don't think any of us are we're not homophobic nor would we expect anything but the point is you know that kind of love is not what we see in films no nope. i also think of like uh you know the reality is um uh, most uh romances even if they lead to marriage um you know don't last hmm um, you know, it's not a, the lifelong, you know, like, you know, the reason why it's a happy ending in Shakespeare is because he knows when to cut. Yes. Um, But I think about um, the brilliant season two of white Lotus of, you know, sort of like, Oh, Oh no, the passions died. Right. Oh no. Right. Like the spark died. Yeah. Yeah. The spark's been dead for a long time, but I love her so much. Right. Like, and I hope I'm a good dad. And, you know, I mean, Love is complex. I know a a friend here who says she she's older than me. And she says she's not even sure if romantic love is sort of real love or if it's really based in sexual desire and the ego. And maybe it's a good thing that that transitions into, uh, at best, a kind of partnership, you know, of abiding, you know, sort of soulful love. Um, So. All of that just leads me to say, yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's interesting that we have to have this kind of like romantic love, which is, I think, a legitimate kind of love, but also mm. like one of the most fleeting, you know, kinds of yeah. love you could have.
0: I agree, and I hundred percent. In fact, I would probably agree with your friend actually saying that, and I think that that sort of you know, that romantic, that spark, that passion, that lust, or whatever, is almost like. um an instigator for a lot of things, and if you're lucky, that then transitions and translates into, you know, um, f- you know, a partnership or friendship and platonic that sort of can sort of sustain a marriage and stuff, and you have the rest of it. But it's it becomes that that bond because um, that's the one that's truly long lasting. You know, like yeah, you know, I think that's that's true. But you're right, we can't sort of it, we 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 don't sort of seem to trust that on film. When we're showing that. I mean, I remember, um, and this is a completely... When when, um, Frozen uh, came Mm -hmm. out and they were like, oh, it's sisterly love. The whole thing's about sisterly love. True love in the sense of like sisterly companionship and and sort of like friendship and that sort of thing. Rather than having the usual Disney prince hero. They still have that in there secretly. They try and sneak it in other ways, but like Mm -hmm. that's still there. And there was this big, it was all in the news and people were like, oh, Disney's showing this and da, da, da. And you're like... Yeah, why is it so such a big thing that we have to that we struggle to show this? I think it's bizarre, but yeah, it's interesting that in these these films we need to be centered by a romantic passion. You know, it has to be a sort of like a love that binds them, a sort of a a love that that defines the ages. And you you hear all these things, and you go like, "Wow, sounds like a lot of work." What's going to happen in five years when they're sort of like you know a bit sick of each other? Um, And so I do sort of I understand that from a narrative point of view why it's there but yeah sometimes i just think um it's it, it, i think this is why and and again I think sort of like you know the schmaltz of disney i understand it but i think it's why the opening sort of like that opening section of up uh, that everyone refers to works so well, and why no one is possible. It's not possible to get out through that without shedding at least one tear. You in the you know, like it works because it shows that thing, that development of support and and companionship and love in a in a in a in that way, in a in a genuine and sort of authentic way. But I think with Hollywood, you need the shortcut. So we, you and I have said a hundred times before with other films, you need that shortcut, that shorthand that mm-hmm. says, "Don't worry." <laughs> here's the here's what's going to happen sort of like they're in love or whatever and it's um that's what it's there for
1: yeah i i think you're right i i also think that you know hollywood especially doesn't trust something that isn't grounded mm-hmm. and when you think about and grounded by that i mean like in what audiences expect right i was i was reading um you know uh I I think, uh, what's his name, who did like uh, Towering Inferno and like Land of the Lost and um, I'm forgetting his name. But I Mm. I was reading his reaction to Star Wars and he said, like, he could not understand how a movie that had no basic love interest was, you know, uh, that Star Wars is just, you know, not a love story. Mm. Uh, And Princess Leia is there and Luke kind of romances her. But that's not, you know, even really a B-plot right it's not like you know i'm gonna slay the dragon and win the girl no no you know like the girl's there uh, but uh you know and and he was flabbergasted by Mm. something without how that lacking that could win such popular attention and so i sort of feel like with a protagonist who is potentially a, a a serial murderer of women and um you know and you know a a german expressionism you know sort of aesthetic and and all of these things going on in this film i can see how the idea of a love story grounding it would be reassuring is or is you know kind of a nice thing for for audiences and producers yeah. where i give this film credit is it's not really that and when he meets her it's sort of like i mean It prefigures in some ways like internal sunshine for the spotless mind, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, this kind of like, okay, I'm manipulating. I know I'm manipulating you. You don't know me. You're somebody else now. I also know we could fall in love again. And, you know, maybe he will in five years, don't get tired of each other and he'll figure out how to rework that memory serum stuff and uh, reboot her and uh keep her in love with him um i wouldn't put it past him i'd like to see that movie frankly mm. darker city
0: um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you're right i think one of the things as well is it. Let, let's sort of like you know to really focus in on, <laughs> on certain things would we um
1: it's also about the i find that like... so charming <laughs> 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 the sequel has to be called darker city oh you know and it, it would like... as well
0: you know it would 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. Um, but the thing is that, you know you not only is it this thing about the hero and the love interest, I think it's one of the things that I think we one of the reasons we need this is that is the kind of person that John becomes and Neo becomes. And I think it's because he's the they are the Superman. You know, this idea of someone, you know, this is why Superman has Lois Lane. This is why sort of Lo- Superman has Mar and pa Kent. It's this idea of of the connection mm-hmm. to humanity, isn't it? It's sort of like, oh, what keeps them connected to humanity? Oh, their love of this person. Like, you need that that thread, that connection. Otherwise, they are terrifying. Hence Miracle Man. And this is where I think mm-hmm. Miracle Man, you know, you and I both sort of like, you know, um, espouse about how great this this book is. It's the fact that like when he does become um Miracle Man, he sort of sheds the the, his alter ego, and he presents himself to his wife and says to her, like, you know, I can give you this, like, you can you can join me in this thing, and she's like, no, this is this is this is madness. I can't (laughs) I can't cope with this. Um, You see that there is that, you know, he doesn't really have that. The difference between Miracle Man and Superman is Miracle Man sort of sheds that connection to humanity in the same way. And lives above it and becomes this sort of savior figure and everything. And, and the same, even for Kid Miracle Man, like he's lived with them, but in amongst them, but has never had that connection to humanity. So when it comes to the big sort of like tussle, he has no, qual- neither of them really have any qualms about plowing through people to, to get to the end goal. And so that's where I think that would. We get scared when someone's presented with this kind of power, but they're like, "Oh, yeah," but they need to be connected to humanity. We need to show that there's a goodness there, that there's a core to them that's can be trusted. Otherwise, you know, I I think it's um, um, e- even put it this way, even in the boys like Homelander, as this all as this villain, like they give mm. him a son to try and sort of show that like he has this like connection. Like they never fully. Comp- you know confident in 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 really mm. separating them out um in in that
1: way to sort of in- you should you should point out that that's only true in the tv show
0: yes Oh, yeah 100% yeah not, i'm talking about the tv the show comedy. no 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 yeah. no no yeah in the tv show and so, and exactly, we're taking this back to Hollywood. This idea of a, a producer, mm-hmm. yeah, Garth Ennis, does not have any concerns about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> Garth <laughs> Ennis. Don't give a fuck about <laughs> yeah, being a total
1: yeah, asshole. Yeah,
0: he's got no concerns about separating them from humanity. But um, in the book, in the TV show, that's what they're trying to do, and they're still trying to give Homelander that idea of humanity a little bit. Um, and I find that fascinating that we need that. And and John and Neo are just the same representations of a superhero or a super being, a godlike being connected to humanity.
1: So I mean this gets me to probably my biggest objection to this film. Um, mm. you know, I really like the idea that um, these are the children of alien abductees right? mm. And you know all those you know stories of alien tests on people, you know, whatever here is a continuation of that. I don't like that it's phrased as having a soul. I don't understand why they haven't figured out this answer to memory and identity by now. Right. Like that's not that complex. Um, You know, I get that it's a a cliche, but I can kind of go with it. This sort of point of like you were looking in here points Mm. to his head, you know, and the implication being you should have looked at your heart and so I'm in love with the squirrel, and exactly as you say, right? Like that grounds the character that grounds the narrative, um, you know, okay. That's a cliche. I can kind of accept it. Um, but where I think, you know, interestingly, this movie and the matrix for me really fall apart is where the human being has powers. Um, I cannot at the end, The thing, I mean, the thing that bothers me most, I love this disc world. I love this setup. I don't need all the aliens to die, Mm. but I love the, you know, trying to sort of manipulate love into coming back into existence. There's so much that I love about this film. How is he the first human who has developed powers? He's not. Mm. The only explanation that would possibly make sense is that he's some sort of like hybrid between the two species. Or he's secretly a stranger in disguise or something, right? Humans don't have the capacity to do this. If they did, you would see other humans doing this to smaller degrees, but it's never been manifested on this level. This is, you know, the same thing's true in The Matrix. I'm with The Matrix until at the end of the second one, he's able to do it in the real world. And then you're like, oh, no. The only yeah. explanation is it's all a simulation. You're in a simulation inside a simulation, and that's not what they end up doing, right? Because they don't know what they're doing. Here, I sort of feel it has a parallel problem, mm. where you know he should not have these powers. The fact that he does have these powers is never even explained or addressed.
0: I, I agree. I think I don't want an exp- I don't want a full explanation. I don't want someone to be exposition about how he was experimented on as a child and was given these powers, or by accident, or there was a uh, that you know a secret stranger that gave them power so that he could evolve into this thing. I don't need all that, but at least like allude to the fact that there needs to have been some sort of intervention for this to have happened because the doctor, uh, Keith Sutton, Doctor Schreiber says, "Oh, you—he's evolved," and you're going, "How? Why? Because?" It doesn't seem, you know, like you say, I, I, it's an explanation to give, but it doesn't make any sense. I want there to be some sort of illusion, Cause at least with the Matrix, and again, it's not till later that they give this. I think later on, this is where they fill in canon, which is the Star Wars cop out. But this idea of like you're not the first, like we we've had this mm. before, and um, you know it'll happen again. Like if you were to have it in this, of like you know they they recognize that this man has to be killed, like uh, Mister Hand or whatever, like the the chief stranger if there was a sort of thing of like you know even if we have a single line of like we've do, we've dealt with this before it seems to be happening at a faster rate mm-hmm. at least then go mm-hmm. oh there is something bigger going on but we you know we don't really have to cover it but like they're dealing with this one something i agree with them them having that 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 thing
1: see um, i mean the thing about the matrix you know like you pointed out is um like that scene where it's like this is a, another control system this has happened multiple times which i really love Mm. um happens prior to neo at the end of the second movie using his powers in the real world which just shouldn't happen right no um that's where it jumps the shark for me um you know and so but here it's almost like they just embrace that problem from the start and You know, never, you know, you said evolved, but the way I took that line about evolving is, like, the human species has evolved to Mm. develop these powers, which, you know, there are accounts of psychic powers. I don't have a problem with that, you know, uh, a a version of the world in which humans have telekinetic powers, you know. Um, That's fine, but, like, you know, all you need to do is mention that, have some sort of, you know, line about how, you know, uh, his DNA isn't entirely human. Somebody did something along the line. I mean, um, in all the successive revelations, it would be pretty easy, right, to have something like that. Yeah. I don't know. No, you're right. There's, there's,
0: there's not enough explanation for it. And I think, again, they could, even, they could it wouldn't take much to do a throwaway thing that gives you at least a little bit of light onto it. Um which would be, so I agree with that. And I do feel the same with like, again, Neo works when it's within the simulation because it's manipulating programs and all that kind of stuff. And you can go, Oh, it's the praise it's within a, it's within a simulation. So it works the moment he does it in the real world. Again, like I think the whole, I think the whole world watching just went, eh, I'm switching <laughs> off now. I think you know, you've, you've sort of, say you've jumped the shark, you've blown it. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with that. One thing that you know, sort of as we sort of get towards the end, the one thing that we sort of touched on, and I want to talk sort of about is the finale. Um, so he's, he is captured; he's taken by the strangers to the, to a place to have his, you know, basically re, but have his, have given new memories and reinstalled back into the matrix, if you were back into the dark city. I love the plot that Keith Sutherland uses; those memories. Because it's like time, mm-hmm. it's almost like you know, there's that cop out of manipulating time travel of going, well, I've laid all these things through time without having the complexity of time travel. Because it's like I've laced your new memory set with all this knowledge. Again, think about the the Matrix, where he's like, well, I know kung fu, yeah, this is mm-hmm. it before that, but with it, with even mm-hmm. more thought process going into it. Um, and so, I love that he gives him a lifetime of learning just through implanted
1: memories. I think is is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I do have to add the asterisk, like, through the whole thing, like the idea of chemical memories in a tube is sort of like, again, a little German expression. Like, I kind of get away with it stylistically. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you know, but... um, I'm not sure how this works especially right? when he's putting like, them together he's like a little bit of teenage
0: rebellion a little bit of this yeah, yeah I,
1: I get what you're saying i understand that so but... so what I, my problem with that scene is how is the doctor like they've never established he's able to make his own chemical concoction yeah. like well you know you add a little you know plutonium and then you have, have a childhood sexual experience yeah. you know how i i don't know how this works but so that is my objection. And he's got the other needle because the the aliens notice he's got the other needle and that's how they find him out. What, well, dude, put that in your pocket, man. Like, yeah. But anyway, I mean, those are, those are minor quibbles. I think that emotionally it works. Intellectually, you're right. I mean, it's just a brilliant idea. The idea of being able to, I like your comparison, time travel, like being able to sort of effectively try time travel without really doing it what's the fucking difference, right? I give you the memories of me there and we're off to the races and that that's a way of encoding information, right? We talk about like encoding information in DNA, encoding information in the synapses, in the memory. I I mean, I think it's pretty brilliant.
0: Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. And the the way it sort of happens and then once he reaches, it all sort of embeds and that's it then. He's able to use those powers and sort of like, again, it's sort of like, you know, the CGI isn't always great, but like the frame, this thing he's been sort of like trapped on melts away. And now he is Neo in the real world. Like he can start to manipulate things around him. However, this has a bit of a double-edged sword. And I think it's down to both budget, imagination and, um, uh, special effects capability. You see him being able to melt, um, the world around change things but then it becomes two guys floating in the air arguing over a dagger flying backwards and forwards and things <laughs> shoot and things shooting out of the ground like pillars coming out of the ground and i'm like if you really want if you I mean again i understand it looks cool Look, it's still good it's still very cool but like this is all this is one of the things i always claim about like um green lantern you know those constructs, the will constructs, you're like, yeah, but if you got the ability to make whatever you want, like, you know, you've got to be really imaginative. So I feel like there should be, if they had the ability, if you were to make this now with the, with, you know, CGI capabilities, like you would do so much more with manipulating matter and, and, and sort of, you know, um, different bits and pieces. It still looks good. I still like it, but it still feels a little bit, um, you know, uh, constrained if you will
1: it is probably the sequence in the film and I thought this watching it where I thought it's the only sequence where I thought I'm bored yeah Um, you know and and that's saying a lot I mean like look I noticed you know when we were like 16 minutes into the movie I was like oh wow so much has happened like I (laughs) more has happened in 16 minutes than in 30 minutes of most (laughs) movies Um, and I'm you know, really cruising along. I think you're right about uh, about that. The two things that bother me the most, like, again, you have telekinetic powers, right? Rip the walls out and crush the other person in a ball of metal, right? You know, there's so much you can do. Um, it's the, like, I'm going to fire psionic bolts and you're going to fire psionic bolts. And I'm like, and they fly back, like they're hit sometimes. And I'm like, does it just matter who gets there first? Yeah. And then I yeah. start thinking about, like, Dungeons the Dragons and, The other thing that bothers me is, um, yeah, the knife thing is not the best. Um, But then uh, the villain, having been hit with the knife that's been turned around on him, is is then hits a uh, water towel. And, you know, although the protagonist has not thought about, you know, just John has not thought about just crushing him, right? John makes this entire skyscraper rise so that the villain can hit the water tower and then I'm like, Oh yeah, because they're scared of water. Mm. So apparently like water melts them like gremlins, um, you know, and hitting the water tower, like somehow sprays this entire disc world. Um, There's something there that they're going for that I don't think comes off. The whole water thing, I think doesn't really work.
0: It's, um, Again, I honestly think this is a limitation of special effects at the time. They're trying to go for something, I think, that they aren't um, yet capable of demonstrating on screen. Because there is there's a scene when you, earlier in the film when uh, Mr. Hand or whatever it is, the Richard O'Brien character goes to... Um, what is he called? Yeah, Mr. Hand goes to see Dr. Schreiber and he's in that sort of like pool there, isn't he, swimming? And he says, you know our aversion to... Uh, moisture you know you know to, to this um and, and even dr schreiber says to him he says well, the reason i come here is because it's the only place i can get a, a peace and quiet i can get a moment's peace like so they they keep alluding to this thing about how water but you never actually see like one of them get sprayed with water or accidentally touch water or something to because they are also covered head to foot like you know when they're in dark city like mm-hmm. they wear big hats they wear the long coats like, you know it's you almost need a demonstration of well, what happens if they do get caught with water yeah. so get it on their hand or get it on their face or something just a little bit of a thing would be very very helpful because for that for that final bit so i agree with that but um, i like what they're trying to do and i like the fact but like you say it's um
1: uh it's it's a bit clunky yeah you're right and it, but i don't even think that the water tower exploding it's neither logical nor really shown that it kills all of them that are above ground, um, and also, if that's the case, you don't need to slam the villain into a water tower. You just need to raise the water and crash it down. Mm. You have godlike psionic powers. I mean, or, or, I, well, I, also
0: more than that, he seems to be able to manipulate everything. Like he's not just mm. moving things; he can manipulate things. Turn something else into
1: water. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he's creating water, right? Yeah. Because they don't have that much water on no. board the ship to, you know, to flood the the yeah. force people.
0: So, yeah, there's, there's, it, it, the ending is a little clunky, I agree. Um, and it, but it serves its purpose. But it's one of those films where, like, I can sort of see the director and the writer going, like, look, we've, had all, we've done all this really cool stuff. <laughs> sort of got to finish. We've got to bring it to an end. We've got to beat the baddies and we've got to do this. All right. It's clear that this is clearly not where their mind is at or their head is at. That this mm-hmm. is all very perfunctory, um, which is fine. Well, what,
1: but what I imagine is there was a much better version of this before it got it got budgeted,
0: yes, 100%. Yeah, or even they reached the special effects guys and were just like, We can't do that, <laughs> <laughs> that's not yeah. possible yet. Um, and I wonder if that is the case. Uh, and you know, because a year later, you get the matrix, and the matrix does. Mm-hmm some of the similar things and they invented like bullet time and all this other stuff that, Mm -hmm. and it was very costly. So, and I think maybe it may even be, it was possible, but they were a bit like, we're not spending that level of money. Like you say on this weird little film that you, that is clearly not going to make us money back. Um, Yeah. Very, very possible. Anyway, we are running into time now. So let's come to our final thoughts then on dark city. So, Julian, what are your final thoughts on Dark City from 1900? You, Scott. For your point, for the yeah. d- theatrical cut, co- or the, well, the director's cut, co- so yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're the one who's limited by the, you know, I, I went straight to the director's cut, and I was quite pleased. Um, you know, this is, uh, for me, a sort of miniature case of The Man Who Fell to Earth, where mm-hmm. I just, you know, kiss your ass and thank you for helping me to see this movie because like this is a movie that i've been aware of for my entire life it feels like and yet um i have never watched this all the way through and if i saw you know a little bit on television i was like oh that's kind of visually interesting but what the hell is going on um i kind of love this movie mm. um i think it's i think it's legit not just good but kind of excellent um you know so I recommend this to people. I mean, I think this is a kind of forgotten gem, and I hope that it gets more attention. So thank you. And and this is part of why I, I, you know, besides learning about stuff that I've already seen, you know, and seeing it through your eyes and another angle and thinking about it, this is another treat about doing this podcast. So I get to watch stuff that I haven't seen in any real way.
0: Yeah, no, I think what it is about this film is because I, I I didn't watch it until what about eighteen months ago, first time I watched this, and it's one of those films where I'd known about it for years. I'd heard about the director's cut, and um but I'd seen like people mention, like, oh, it's you know if you don't watch the director's cut, it's almost impenetrable. It doesn't make any sense and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, do I really want to sit down and and try and you know, pass this film out. Do I, is it too much hard work? Can not be bothered? And I kept seeing visuals from it. And I was like, I want to see this, even if it's like just to experience the visuals of this, like whatever this nineties film was. And I remember sitting down for the first time and watching it and being like, Oh, this is actually really good. Like I'm enjoying this. Like it's weird. And it's, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch, but like, it's clear what they were going for. I think some of the casting and ideas work really well. Um, it's got more themes and ideas in the whole, in, in it than most films have at all today in this weird little sci-fi film. It's, you know, it's got um, a great cast. It's got, it looks fantastic. So sort I'm of like, you know, I, I'm loving it. Yeah. It's just one of these films. I'm like, as you say, was overshadowed a year later by the matrix. And everybody remembers the matrix and nobody remembers dark city. And it's become some sort of like cult film that is watched You know, probably by a few people, but wholly deserves to be um, rediscovered and re-examined in the light of, um, you know, more modern aesthetics and stuff. Like, you know, I think this is definitely um, a film that needs to be revisited, and and yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, I do think I need to watch the full director's cut, and I will be seeking it out to watch it because I think it's well worth um, doing so. I mean, we recently talked obviously about the director's cut of Water's World and being like, yeah, mm. it was, it was more of the same for like an extra 40 <laughs> minutes. Like it didn't make a huge heap of difference to that film. But this is like Blade Runner in that, like the theatrical cut is fine. I really like the theatrical cut, but from what you've said about the, the director's cut, it's about, I think nine minutes longer, but it also removes mm. like the, the narration and some of the bits and pieces, like it cleans things up and makes it a much more interesting film. So yeah, I highly recommend anyone go check this out. Like, It really is a good film. Um, and when we get to our final season review of sort of like where everything stacks up, well, I'll be interested to see how this sort of stacks up against, um, you know, in, in retrospect, will it be one of those sort of films that stands out for us?
1: Yeah, I yeah. think I think it will. And I just want to say the comparison with Blade Runner is, you know, apt. Um, you know, I kind of like the earlier versions of Blade Runner, but... Um, this does more with mm. one of the ideas in Blade Runner that I've always dug on and always faulted Blade Runner for not going into, which is that fake memory thing yeah. and the pain of the fake memories. And this has a similar theme, but develops in a, in a richer way. Yeah, no, I agree. This,
0: Yeah, and, and the fact that we, you know, this idea, as you've talked about, I think this idea of self and how we are embedded, in, our self is embedded in in, in our memories of, of what's come before. Such, such a good film. Really enjoy it. Um, but we're not done obviously this is still we're still going through this season uh a much lighter tone i think as we're going forward into the next film uh we're going from 98 to 99 um we're going to be leaving the 20th century after this next film because we're going to the iron giant next this is our animation film for this uh, uh for this season did
1: um, it 99 yeah I think, I think, yeah, 99. So it's, it's right up against the matrix.
0: Mm. Yeah. So we really are those late nineties. There was some really good stuff. The late nineties is some fascinating stuff. 99 in particular. Oh, yeah. It was a big, big year. You get sort of like the matrix, you get fight club, iron giant. Um, so yeah, the iron giant is going to be an interesting sort of story.
1: Yeah. Like Magnolia. Um, mm. I think American beauty was 99. Um, yeah, 99 is sort of like one of those banner years in civil yeah. history. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. It really is. It's sort of a real turning point for a number of reasons. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to be talking about a film that uh, uh, I have read and I have very fond memories of the book, um, The yeah, the Iron Giant. Um, and we see how we sort of compare that to from the the, the original I don't think it's really based on the source material, but there's obviously the 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 small kids like small children's book versus this film that uh, was done.
1: So we I've we never read it. any of the source material. Have I, you not? I, I can't read. No, no, I don't. I don't read. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I read a lot. I just, yeah, I just, I didn't even think about the source. material.
0: Have a look. It's very. I mean, don't don't get it. It's it's fine, but it, yeah, have a look at it because it's very interesting. There is obviously a short children's book. I think it's It's, it's literally about. Sixty to ninety pages long. Like it's very mm-hmm. short, but yes, we will discuss that on the next episode. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us in Dark City. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on this? Have you watched this film? Do you think it's worth revisiting? Do you, do you tell people about this film, or do you shy away from it? Uh, let us know. Find us on social media at Pod Timespace. And more than that you know, go find us on your podcasting platform and leave a review um If you want to hear more about what we're doing as well, go check out our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash 20cgmedia. That's 20 CG media. uh Loads of stuff going on there. We're still trekking through the Twilight Zone. And there's a whole other heap of stuff me doing my 30 minute thoughts as well. And uh, yeah, go check that out. It keeps the lights on for us as we do future endeavors. Uh, but for now, Julian, thank you very much. Uh, it's been an absolute joy this one. I've really enjoyed this conversation. My massive
1: pleasure. Yeah me too man
0: it's been a good and ladies and gentlemen we shall see you on the next episode
1: there's something very important i forgot to tell you what don't cross the streams